Our text this morning comes from the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 10, verses 21 through 24, so that we get the flow of the argument and the pass of the passage. I'll begin reading with verse 17. So I will read this morning uh, from the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 10, verses 17 through 24. Before I read, though, let's go to the Lord in prayer that he would bless the reading and preaching of his word. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we come again before you this morning in the name of Christ. And we ask, Father, that by your word, uh, given by inspiration of your Holy Spirit to the evangelist Luke, that you would reveal Christ unto us today, that we might know him, not know of him, but know him, and that we might be made like him, that we might bear the fruit of your word in our lives and be transformed by your grace and your glory. We thank you, Father, that you have hid these from the grave of the world and revealed them unto the lowly, unto your babes. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Here now the reading of God's holy word from the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 10, verses 17 through 24. And the seventy returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Notwithstanding in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. And that hour Jesus rejoiced in spirit and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hath revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered to me of my Father, and no man knoweth who the Son is but the Father, and who the Father is but the Son, and he to whom the Son will reveal him. And he turned him unto his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things that ye see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see those things which you see, and have not seen them, and to hear those things which ye hear, and have not heard them. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord abides forever, and his people said, Amen. We have here, in this passage, we looked at last time, the joy of the disciples that they come unto Jesus, those 70 that were sent out, and they had been given the charge to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim the kingdom of heaven, to declare the peace that is found in the Lord and the ministry of Jesus Christ. And they found that, though it wasn't explicit in their instructions, that even the kingdom of Satan, that the devils were cast out. And Jesus tells them that this is so because the kingdom of Satan has been defeated and thrown down. And that they were partakers of it. That they got to go forth in power. And that his word would go forth through them uh, untouched by the enemy. It's not as we saw uh, such that it wouldn't mean that there wouldn't be martyrs for the gospel of Jesus Christ, but that even in martyrdom, the word would go forth in power. 
that darkness would retreat before the light, that they were heralds of the glorious kingdom of the Messiah of Jesus Christ. And yet their greater joy was to be that their names were written in heaven, that they were enrolled in that kingdom, that they were part of that kingdom, that they had been received. And this leads Jesus to exult in spirit, in probably the Holy Spirit, and to give praise and thanks unto his Father before them, that they might hear and know again, just like he did with the kingdom of Satan falling down, the glorious blessings that, that were bringing Jesus himself joy in the flesh. And we get this in verse 21. He says, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent, and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. That according to the good pleasure of God, for the plan of God, it was that the wise and prudent of the world uh, would be blinded to the glories of the gospel, the coming of the kingdom, the power of Christ Jesus, but the lowly would not be, the babes would not be, that they would be received. Now this is, you know, there are those that would make uh, political hay of this, uh, that that the, the places of power rejected the gospel, which is generally true, although not exclusively true, and that all the poor, by virtue of being poor, were gathered into the kingdom of heaven, that somehow you could determine the pleasure of God by looking at class and social structure. This isn't what's going on. He's talking about the humble, the poor in spirit, uh, because there are uh, many... Uh, that are poor, that are just as vile and hateful as those of rich and great power, but those that will humble themselves before the Lord get a glimpse, get to see the, the invisible world, the truth of the world, that, that the race is not to the swift, that the pleasure is not to the wealthy, that the power is not to the mighty, but it belongs unto the Lord and Him alone, and to whom He will reveal Himself. Jesus rejoices that the Father's good pleasure was to reveal Himself unto the babes, that He revealed Himself to His sheep, that He did not uh, look upon the world and say, well, this person is worthy to be part of my kingdom, that He will be very useful to me, as a mighty man and a powerful man, and I will bestow my, my grace upon him. Now, we are used to hearing the pieties of Scripture and internalizing them. But understand how, how far this is from our human nature to exalt the lowly. If you ever look into a book about church growth, and missions, you will see that right in the open that you are to go to the city. Why? Because there are more people there. And the city is, is the great trendsetter of culture. It's the strongholds of power. And if you get the power that you will wield influence, that even outside of those great city structures, what they are looking for are places 
We want to plant churches where there are growing neighborhoods and up-and-coming young professionals because they can fund the church plants. We are very good at disguising the ways and the views of the world in holy language. But Jesus' ministry was to use the lowly, the the despised of the world, not the unholy, by the way. Uh, These were men that perhaps they had been unholy, but these were men that followed Jesus Christ and were willing to leave off everything else. But they weren't the great and the good, as it were, of the land. And the people they gathered to the Lord weren't generally the great and the good. Nicodemus, one of the most, probably the most prominent disciple, Joseph of Arimathea, also a prominent disciple of Jesus Christ, weren't open disciples of Jesus Christ. These things that are revealed unto the lowly, they are mighty things. The fall of Satan out of the place of power. Verse 18. And and the secret counsel of God regarding our souls. When we know the gospel, we know that Christ Jesus has recorded us in heaven, that we are part of that elect You know, how do we know that we are written in heaven? Well, this is part of the the ongoing joy that Jesus gives. Verse 22 uh, deals with that, which we'll get to in just a second. But the Lord of heaven and earth. And note, this is what Jesus, uh, how he addresses him. He says, I thank thee, O Father. And he doesn't stop there. Lord of heaven and earth. You have all power in your hand. And you haven't favored the great, but you have revealed yourself unto the babes. That you you could have had whatever company that you wanted. And you brought in into your sheep the lowly. This is just the way of the Lord to confound the wise and the prudent of the age. Uh, The scribes and the Pharisees fit this bill particularly well, but it wasn't limited to that. Uh, We see Paul writing unto the Corinthians, chapter 1, verse 18, speaking about the power of preaching and its perceived foolishness in the world. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. This is from Isaiah 29, 14. And will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. This same language that Jesus himself has used and and Jesus himself is thinking of. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, 
But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not to bring to naught the things that are. That no flesh should glory in his pleasure. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Jeremiah 29, Jeremiah 9, 24. We see the wisdom here then in what, what the Lord is doing. It's not just that Jesus is praising the compassion of the Father, which he is. But we also see how it is designed to bring all the more glory to the Godhead. That because he is Lord of heaven and earth, he does not need the wise and the prudent of the world. Because he is Lord of heaven and earth, he does not need kings and mighty men. So he shows his great power and glory. If he had, remember Gideon? When he was called to deliver uh, the Israelites from the hand of the Philistines and he gathered to himself a great army and the Lord kept whittling it down and whittling it down and whittling it down till there was 300 men. And he did so that Israel might know that they weren't saved by Gideon, that they weren't saved by the, the military prowess of, of one of God's judges, but they were saved by God himself. That they might have a, a taste of what Egypt, the most powerful country at the time, had a taste of when God decided to take his people out by the hand of Moses. If God saved the, the great of the world, we would start to, as Christians and some Christians have throughout history, congratulated themselves on their own wisdom in becoming a Christian and their own uh, ability to, to control their appetites or their own ability uh, to, to win the favor of God. And man would get the glory, and not God, who is all glorious. So God demonstrates his great power and glory in calling the babes unto himself and revealing the kingdom to them and, and enrolling them as prophets and priests and kings in his kingdom. But at the same time, while we want to see how glorious it is to God, we also see, as I mentioned before, that this is a glory that he wins for himself, not through, through abstract power, but by compassion and mercy. God could show his grace to anyone he chose. And he chooses, chooses to show his grace to those that know they have no claim for it. I have come to call the sinners and not the righteous to repentance. That he lifts up the barren woman and makes her a great mother of children. The Virgin Mary brings forth into the world the Savior Christ. And whether or not she was the mother of children afterwards, it doesn't matter because she is part of that great family of God. And her family uh, calls her blessed. And we are part of that family as well. 
to Jesus' joy is that the Father, through his infinite wisdom and pleasure, has demonstrated his might and his glory through compassion and love, which is Jesus' own mission as the Son, to fulfill the Father's love for the world, that he might gather to himself those that were made his enemies. This is all part of the, the bigger pattern, the, the, the way that, that God's love and decree is reflected all throughout the levels of his creation and, and wisdom. But he also rejoices because that in the gospel, his babes come to know the Lord truly in a real way. We think of knowledge as, as getting a bunch of information or sometimes making an acquaintance. Uh, but it has much more fully, full meaning in Scripture. We know how it often stands in the place of love in Scripture and to become part of that intimate fellowship in Scripture. And that's what we see in verses 22 through 24. He says, All things are delivered to me of my Father, and no man knoweth who the Son is but the Father, and who the Father is but the Son, and he to whom the Son will reveal him. And he turned unto his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things that ye see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see those things which ye see, and have not seen them, and to hear those things which you have heard, and have not heard them. This to deal with the latter part first, this is that day of blessing long looked for by the prophets and the kings of old. And by kings, he means um, almost certainly David, who prophesied, Solomon, who prophesied, perhaps also Hezekiah and others that uh, gave themselves to the Lord's will and, and sought for that day when he would fulfill and put on the throne that everlasting son of David. Uh, remember in chapter 2, uh, Simeon in the temple had been waiting long for this. In verse 25, uh, they come and behold, there is a man in Jerusalem, Luke 2, 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For my eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles, and the glory of thy people Israel. It was the summation of all the hopes of the Old Testament. It is why for long, you know, traditional churches, uh, it is the final hymn of the day. To let us depart in peace, because we have seen the salvation of God. Uh, we, we see in 1 Peter chapter, uh, chapter 1, uh, verse 10, 11 and 12. Uh, that this was the great expectation of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ was in them, did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Unto us, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you 
and by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things even the angels desire to look into. This word that we have is that seeing of, of the invisible things of God. It is a great blessing that uh, the, the faithful of the ancient uh, looked for, uh, sought diligently. It is one that even we ourselves, because we, we get to thinking that, well, we didn't see Christ in the flesh. And, and so this blessing is for them, but not really for us. But note what, who, what Peter says. And he was with Christ even on the Mount of Transfiguration. In 2 Peter chapter 1, 16 through uh, 21, uh, Peter says this in 2 Peter, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father glory and honor, when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven, we heard when we were with him on the holy mount. That's a glorious thing. And this is one of those, these, the mount of transfiguration then shows itself up in this letter. But note what he says after that to the people he's writing to. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto you do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. And he's speaking of Scripture, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So this same word, by the word, we also see and enjoy the same blessing. That it's not a lesser blessing. It's not a lesser uh, privilege. It's not a lesser view of Jesus Christ just because He and the flesh is not before us today. Although, by faith and, and by the Word, uh, this, this sacrament that is before us today is, to those who believe, uh, the sign and the seal of the body and the blood of Christ Jesus uh, given in, uh, on that cross for our uh, benefit. We enjoy the same bless blessing. Uh, note the, the relationship in verse 22. All things are delivered to me. Uh, of the Father, no man knoweth the son, who the Son is, but the Father, and who the Father is, but the Son, and He to whom He will reveal Him. We get the second part. We don't know the Father except through the Son. Uh, we get that in uh, John chapter fourteen, verses five through ten. Uh, very, very notable to us. Thomas saith unto Him, Lord, we know not whither Thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also, and from henceforth ye know him and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto me, Have I been so long time with you, and yet uh, thou know not me, Philip? He that has seen me hath seen the Father, and how sayest thou then, Show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. 
So this notion that we know the Father through Jesus Christ is, is very part of the warp and woof of the gospel. It is from the first chapter to the end, the, the point of John's gospel. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And it is this knowing that is the way, the truth, and the life. This knowing is the life. It transforms. If you look in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through 18, seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech, and not as Moses, which put a veil over his face that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished, but that their minds were blinded. For until this day, even the day of the preaching of the gospel, until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart, not our heart, those that receive Christ, but on those that don't. He's speaking of the Jews that rejected Jesus Christ. Now the Lord is that spirit. Excuse me, verse 16. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, when Israel shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with open face beholding it as a glass, the glory of the Lord. Note these he's. In the same, in the Greek, this is the same sentence. In the same sentence, he's going from hearing the law, hearing the law read in the context of the gospel, to beholding the Lord in the glass, in the mirror, uh, through a window. That what he's saying is the reading of his word, the preaching of his word, uh, in the context of the gospel, with reference to Jesus Christ, even the Old Testament then, is to behold the glory of the Lord. And so beholding, we are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. And this should also make us think of 1 John 3, verse 2. Beloved, we now are we the sons of God, but it does not yet appear what we shall be. We don't look like sons of God to the world, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be made like him, for we shall see him as he is. They who have such hope purify themselves even as he is pure. But, but note in this, the first part of what he says. He says, all things are delivered to me and my Father, and no man knoweth who the Son is but the Father. We know the Father through the Son. We know the Godhead through the Son. But we don't know the Son properly until we are listening to the testimony of the Father in the Holy Scripture. We can't go and decide through uh, historical research or through philosophical interpretation who the Son is. And, and we can't decide, as the Pharisees attempted to do, that Jesus Christ wasn't qualified to be the Messiah or that he was lying when he made himself equal to God. Uh, and all these, he's a blasphemer, that we must hear what the Spirit says. But the Father has revealed unto us who the Son is. It's a circle. We don't come to know the Lord of heaven and earth except through Christ Jesus. Truly and fully. But we have to know Christ Jesus according as he is revealed in his word. We can't just go and make a gospel of our own liking. We can't change the old foundations. We must be submissive to heaven and earth. And knowing this way is the way of peace 
It is the privilege of heaven. It is to know that you are written, your names are written in heaven. Just to know that your name is remembered and acknowledged. You're not going to go before the Lord and he will say, depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. Because unto you has Christ been revealed, his grace been planted and bearing fruit. If you are hearing and knowing Christ in subjection to the gospel. And so the question is naturally, is Jesus' joy your joy? Do you rejoice that the Father loves the lowly? We, we often acknowledge that, yes, it's a wonderful thing. After all, we are imperfect, but we often say that we are imperfect and no man is sinless in, as a way to excuse our sin and our imperfection, not as a confession of our lowliness. You see this oftentimes, uh, pastors do, when, when they get kicked back from preaching about sin. And, and preaching about the law of God and preaching about the holiness of God and the fact that he calls us into that same holiness. We chafe under it. When we're told by the word what to do, we, we sometimes evade it by saying, well, you're being legalistic or you're, you're, you're not being gracious enough. We ought to love and cling to the grace of Christ and the freedom and liberty of the gospel. But it should be such that we are humbled by it and are not fretful to hear God's condemnation against sin because it's as we recognize our own lowliness that we gain assurance that the gospel is for us and not against us. If Matthew 7, 21-23 means anything, Lord, there will be those in that day that will say, Lord, did we not do many mighty works? Did we not cast out devils? Did we not preach your word in my name? And I will say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. If it means anything, and it means a lot of things, it means that the self-righteous, that those are, who are satisfied in their own uh, attainments have missed the gospel. That we ought to rejoice when we hear that God loves the lowly because we ought to recognize in ourselves the lowly, the babes. We shouldn't therefore then envy the wise and the prudent and the great of the world. It's a shame that oftentimes the reason why Christian seminaries and Christian colleges go astray is because they hunger and thirst after the academic uh, acknowledgments of a sinful world. But it's not just there. It's not just those in their ivory tower that are prone to this sort of thing. The hard workers and, and, and those that are working hard to, to provide for their families and their, 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 their selves often envy the success of those that are willing to compromise the law of God. They might still maintain a profession of Christianity. But their ideas are all molded by the world. We ought not to envy the great and the wise, the prudent of the world, because we also know that in that path lies destruction. That Satan falls down like lightning and so does everyone in his kingdom. Do you chafe under the notion 
that your salvation is completely in God's hands? Or does it bring you joy because you know that you couldn't be in God's hands in any other way? That he is a merciful God. And if you're going to be in anyone's hands, it's better to be in his hands than even our own. That was part of the joy of Jesus Christ. That his children, that his, that his disciples were learning these lessons. And here we come this morning to hear and feed on Christ Jesus, who has revealed to himself unto us. And we have a blessing that the prophets of old, the kings of old, desired to see. He gives himself to you in this mystery of the Lord's Supper that is hid from the world. To the world, this is bread and grape juice. To the eyes of faith, it doesn't cease to be bread and the fruit of the wine, but it also becomes the sign and the seal of Jesus' blood and his body given for you for the remission of sins, that you might be made one with him, that all obstacles of entering into that holy righteous, true court of God would be taken away. It is the food of heaven and the communion and sharing of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we come before you this morning in the name of Christ. and We thank you that you have shown us your mercy and your gospel. We ask that we would rejoice in it, that we would not envy the passing greatness of the world, the vain privileges, the vanity of her wisdom and prudence, but that we would seek our wisdom in your wisdom that is eternal, that we would be prudent as you are prudent, that we would humble ourselves before your greatness and majesty, that we might know the fullness of your love which lifts up the lowly and the poor out of the dunghill, and sets them with the princes of heaven. We ask that you would confirm that grace in our hearts, that we might go forth here with power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.